All right. Welcome, everyone, to today's Google Search Central SEO Office Hours Hangout. My name is John Mueller. I'm a search advocate on the search relations team here at Google in Switzerland. And part of what we do are these office hour sessions where people can join in and ask their questions around their website and web search. Uh, we, we have a bunch of submissions on YouTube, so we can go through some of those. But maybe we can go through some of the live questions uh, beforehand. Um, let's see. I think, David, you're on top of my list here. Yes. Hi, John. Um, I brought you two questions today. The first is, um, if I have a, a content project that is uh, updated daily, for example, uh, like the, the rates of a cryptocurrency or something similar, um, what is the best way to do it? Is it to create a new article every day, so also a new uh, URL? Or is it to update the existing article daily so the URL stays the same? What would you recommend? I, I guess I would try to figure out if you're creating something new or if you're just updating something existing. Like If, if you have a page where you're just updating the prices, you don't need to make a new page for every price change that you make. You just update those prices. Uh, on the other hand, if you're providing new information, then that feels like something that should live on a separate URL where people can go directly to that specific piece of information. Um, the, the advantage also of keeping the same URL is that over time, it builds a little bit more value. And then people understand, well, this is actually the place to go for this piece of information. Uh, so for example, if for every day for a new price, you create a new page, then if people search for like what, what is the current price for this product, then they're going to find some of these, but it's going to be unclear to us which one of them they should show. On mm -hmm. the other hand, if you have one page where you just update the current price, then we know for the price, this is the page. Uh, so that's kind of how, how I would look at it there. Okay, so uh, so when when I would do it like this, uh, would you recommend to to um, force indexing uh, also manually for this, or do you think it will uh, get caught by Google uh, over time? It, I I think it should get picked up automatically anyway. Okay. Usually, if if you rely on using the submit to indexing in in Search Console, to me that's almost a sign that. Google isn't convinced about your website yet anyway. So even if you were to force it into the index, then it's not, not a guarantee that it'll actually be shown in a visible place. Uh, so I, I think it's fine to use that in the beginning to kind of get, get started. And if you have really critical updates, to, to use it then. But uh, for kind of the natural updates on a website, that shouldn't be something that you have to use. OK. But do you think it's necessary? Uh these uh, one URL, which is daily updated, to also update uh, the article date? Should, be, should that be necessary? I, sure. I mean, if, I mean, if you're, you're changing something significant yeah. on the page, yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Like, why okay. not? Yeah. OK. Um, the second question I brought to you is um, we have a, a, like a, a service uh, service footer now where um, this, this footer shows up on every uh, site on our website. And um, we have used H2 tags 
um, for the uh, the headings of these um, footer. So uh, when I look at the hierarchy of headings now, for every they they appear on every page like the H2 uh, tags. Um, and my question is now. Um, is it the best way to to change these h2 tags to like normal paragraph things or is there a way uh, i can um, separate the um, the footer um, like for example with uh, with semantic uh, html tags from the rest so that i still be able to use the h2 tags um, for the footer and they will not um, assigned to uh, to the main content by Google. So so where are you seeing the problem with, with the current setup? Um, that's when I when I look at the uh, like for every article we have, um, um, it doesn't matter which topic is about. We also have the the headings of these this, always the same service footer in the heading hierarchy. And is, is it visible in the search results, or is it just like from from a semantic point of view? It's in the Some, for, from a from a semantic point of view. Okay, yeah. So so my so my, my uh, um, I thought maybe Google is now confused if these uh, heading because of because these headings always um, appear on every uh, page, or can they? Recognize it, and can they uh, can Google separate it from from the main content? Yeah, usually that should just work. Yeah. Okay. Um, in in HTML5, there's also an element that you can use for header and I think footer. Mm -hmm. um, and within those elements, you can you can like have your headings again, essentially. Mm -hmm. from, mm -hmm. So even from a semantic point of view, you you could set that up properly. Um, okay. But, that should be possible. I, I don't think it would cause any problems on okay. Google side either way. But, but do you think but, but because the like the, the service footer is uh, above the, the regular footer, um, could I put uh, um, both of these into one footer tag or should sure. I okay sure yeah okay. So so from our point of view, what, what usually happens with these kind of common elements, is we, we can recognize them across the site because they're more or less repeated across the mm -hmm. site. And uh, then we, we can try to de-emphasize them when it comes to search. Uh, okay. Okay. Because we realize it's the same text on all of these pages. We will just pick one of these pages to rank essentially for the text in that footer section. Uh, it's not something that we would say is critical for, for the rest of the page. Okay. But it would be cleaner to, to, yeah, to tidy it up and to separate it semantically. Yeah, I, I think it would be cleaner. I don't think yeah. you would see any practical change. So okay. that's that's always kind of the, the tricky part. From a theoretical point of view, you can make it you can make it cleaner, you can make it easier to understand. But uh, from a practical SEO point of view, we're we're so used to these kind of footer elements and all of all of the weird ways that they're used, uh, that's usually not a problem. So it's more for my backlog, not for my to-do list today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, that was it from me. Cool. Thanks. thanks. All right, uh, Nirav. Uh, John, so my first question is uh, uh, Google Search Console is throwing an error, which is error in required structured data element. But uh, when I check, check the same on uh, validator.schema.org, uh, it does not show any warnings or any errors. 
so first question is is it the right site to check uh, the amp implementation of a web page and if so there is a contradiction like what should be the step over here yeah so the these testing tools are are for slightly different purposes that's that's probably why why you're seeing that uh, difference uh the testing tool in schema.org is more about understanding schema.org markup in general, like overall, based on the uh, requirements that schema.org has. And the okay. testing tool in Search Console is focused purely on what we can pull out of the structured data and use to show in a search feature. So it's really focused on the search part of that story. And within search, we only use a small part of the schema.org markup. And sometimes we have slightly different requirements uh, that maybe we require, I don't know, a specific element more than the base schema.org markup would require. And uh, that's that's often why you see that difference. And like the schema.org validator is for the theoretical markup, and the Google validator is really for the practical Google search side of things. Is there a way like we can check what exactly is missing over there? Because it, basically, it's a, not an error; it's a warning on the search console. And uh, when I, you know, when I check the details on the search console, it just says that you're not done it right. So, will there be a possible way, or should I, you know, should my tech team figure it out? Yeah, I, if it's a warning, then I wouldn't worry about it. It's basically just saying like you could have done something different. Um, okay. So I, at, at the first hand, I, I wouldn't worry about it. Uh, what I would do if you want to find out what exactly the difference is, is double check the uh, documentation on uh, developers at google.com for search, uh, okay. where we have all of the structured data documented and all of the required and recommended fields. And probably one of the recommended or optional fields is uh, what is triggering this warning. Sure, sure. We'll do that. Cool. My second question is, uh, is last week uh, on somewhere close to 25th Feb, we, we did one experiment on our website wherein we improved the page speed of overall website. Like we moved from somewhere close to 30 and we were now we are now at 45-50 according to the page speed inside score. And in the next couple of days, we saw a massive improvement in our ranks. So I just want to show, can this be like this correlation? Does it, if there is, is there a possibility that it is true or there could be other, you know, external factors that can also be impacting like so, so quick, like in just two days and we are seeing a jump. That's, that was, I was just intrigued to ask this. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I, don't think so? yeah, I, I think that would be due to, to something else uh, okay. because the, uh, the the speed aspect is something that we have to pick up through the Chrome user experience report data, and uh, that takes a while to collect and to be aggregated. And right. that's not something that you would see within a couple of days. So my right. guess is something else that you did beforehand, you also did mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. Right. Cool. Thanks. Thanks, John. Cool. All right. Hazel. Hey, John. Hi. Hey, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, OK. So I've got two questions. Uh, the first one is about the sitemap. 
uh, when Googlebot calls the sitemap in the server address, does it firstly call these submitted sitemaps in the JSC backend, or it does it goes directly to our uh, server address to crawl all sitemaps? Um, we we don't crawl them all at the same time, uh, so it's not that there there's a specific order to them. It's more that for individual sitemap files, we try to figure out how often they change and how often they, they give us useful information. And based on that, for individual files, we will crawl them at different rates. Uh, so it, it can happen that one in your Search Console account is crawled very frequently, but also one that you submit directly is crawled frequently. And maybe another in Search Console is crawled very infrequently. Uh, so it's, it doesn't depend on where you submit it. It really depends more on the sitemap file itself and what value it gives to us. So even though uh, one, like one useless sitemap, uh, we delete it in the JSA backend, the Googlebot still can uh, crawl it in our server address. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, so especially when you delete a sitemap file from Search Console, we will still have it in our systems, and we will check it probably for, I don't know, I'm make, making a guess, like several months, we will probably try to recrawl that sitemap file just to make sure that it's not temporarily gone. Yeah, so is, is there like any priority? Like maybe Googlebot will uh, firstly crawl the submitted one, and then maybe uh, crawl no. the... Not no. really, no. Uh, it's, it's really about the, the individual sitemap files and kind of the, the value that, that our systems address to, to that sitemap file. And uh, so, sometimes it's, it's due to how, how frequently we see the sitemap file changing. Uh, sometimes it's just due to other ways that uh, kind of our systems try to understand the, the value of the content that is in the sitemap file. Okay, okay, I see. Uh, so uh, one more question is about the uh, crawl, uh, crawling. Yeah, like what's the possible reason that maybe when certain pages didn't get indexed, even though they were like crawled multiple times? Um, it, it can happen. I, I would assume it's, it's not that frequent because usually when we decide to crawl something, we're also pretty happy to go off and index it. Mm -hmm. um, but, but it can happen that we crawl a page and then in the end decide, oh, well, actually, we, we don't need to index it. One, one common, I, I guess, like some common situations where that can happen, which perhaps don't, don't apply in your case, is uh, if there's an error code on the page, we have to crawl it first, and then we see the error code. If there's a no index on the page, we also have to crawl it first, and then we see the no index. Uh, if the page is complete duplicate of something else that we've already seen, then we crawl it. We see it's a duplicate, but we focus on the, the primary page again. So mm -hmm. those are kind of the um, normal situations where we would crawl something and not index it. But it can also happen that we crawl something, and then by the time we get to indexing, we decide, oh, well, actually, we want to get something else from the website instead. So for this uh, one get something else, does it have some like, uh, 
example example factors like what others other factors that may cause the Googlebot to like decide oh we don't want to index it at the end. I I, I don't know offhand. I I think the the overall website quality definitely plays a role there. But usually, if we're not convinced about the website quality, then we would probably not also crawl the page in the first place. Um, so that's kind. I, I think kind of a, a tricky situation. And if you look in Search Console, I, th I think pretty much for every site, you will have the the grouping of um, discovered but not indexed and also crawled and not indexed. Uh, that's I, I think just pretty common across sites. Mm -hmm. So, um, we, we the reason we I will we ask this is we want to know like except page quality and some technical SEO factors like you just mentioned mentioned above, uh, like some in no index meta tag, uh, like something like. Other than that, is there any other factors that Elthogram may use to determine? Yeah, that whether this page is worth of indexing or not. I, I don't think we have anything specific otherwise documented. And I, I also think it's, it's important to not over-focus on that specific page. Uh, so if, if, if you're sure that from a technical point of view, everything goes OK, um, I, I wouldn't assume that the quality of that specific page is a problem, but rather kind of the perceived quality of that part of the website or the whole website itself. Uh, that's kind of the, the place where I, I would try to see like, what you can do to improve things. Not, not just mm -hmm. that individual page that didn't get indexed, but kind of like, what, what is the bigger picture around that page? OK, so like the overall quality. Overall site quality. Yeah. Yeah, I got, I got you. Thanks. Cool. All right. Um, Akasi. Hi, John. Hi. Um, Hi. I've got two questions. Um, the first one is about our website not showing up for our branded keyword. Um, so uh, we've got two sites. One's a global site and one's an Australia site. Um, and suddenly, we were, uh, the Australia side was ranking for our branded term for um, uh, our number one position for a good two, three months. And suddenly, um, in the last one week, it was replaced by the global website, dot com website um, uh, for, for a couple of days. And uh, I just wanted to understand why could that be the case? It's hard to know without looking at the, the sites. But... I mean, if the these are two sites that are essentially part of the the same bigger group, it can happen that we switch between you know, like which one we would show uh, for for ranking like that. Uh, with hreflang annotations, you can give us a little bit more information on how you want kind of like us to treat that pair of pages. Um, yeah. So that can help a little bit. Geotargeting can help a little bit. Uh, but even then, it can happen that we, we show a global version of a page in a country where you actually also have a, a local version of a page, uh, perhaps just because the global version is so much stronger than the local version. OK, understood. Um, uh, and then there's another question about, um, so with the same website and the same um, global version and the Australia version, uh, we're planning to 
take the same content that exists on a couple of pages on the global version onto the Australia website. Um, and we're happy to add in a, a canonical um, to the global website. So um, just wanted to know, is that going to impact uh, the Australia website's ranking in any way or help it or anything? I, I mean, if you're, you're moving the content, then at least for that content, like the the site that has the content would be the one that would rank. Uh, but for for the rest of the things there, I I usually wouldn't expect bigger changes there. Uh, for, for example, if you're moving one product from one version of a website to another version, then the ranking for your, your company name, that's probably pretty detached from that single product. On the other hand, if that one product is the primary product that you're known for, then moving that over, that could have an effect. Uh, but assuming these are kind of like, it, it sounds like a, kind of like random pages or random products from one website that you're taking to another one, I, I wouldn't expect that to affect your, your bigger picture ranking for, for those websites. Right. Um, yeah, because these are just blog pages and we're not uh, moving it from one side to the other side. Instead, we're duplicating the same content, but obviously providing a canonical. Um, so yeah, would that be okay? Yeah, that's yeah. that's perfect. I mean, that's that's a perfect use of the canonical. If you have the same content on two different websites, uh, telling us which one you want to have as a canonical is is perfect use, and you don't have to do it the same way for for all of the content on your site. So it can be that one website has these blog pages as canonical, the other website has different blog pages as canonical. Right. That's that's perfectly fine. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, John. Cool. Thanks. All right, uh, Anton. Uh, yes, Sejun. Um, so we run an e-commerce uh, website, and we are now in a stage where we want to um, make major uh, updates to our category uh, pages. And one draft um, uh, wants, or, or like in, in one draft, we want to get rid of the product listings. So you have the product listings with a faceted uh, search where you can filter. Uh, for the project uh, for the uh, products you are looking for and my question is this so when we remove the whole um, product listing of category pages would we have a disadvantage in rankings because like first all the um, other competitors um, like like have these, these kind of product listings and second um, these, um, like my guess is this is such an established um, element like for e-commerce pages um, that uh, the users uh, like um, they expect something something like this like to have some kind of overview of all the the products um, and the filters like to search for the products they want I I wouldn't see any problems there from an mm. SEO point of view uh, I, I think there, there are different things you would want to watch out for, which probably you will, uh, so that we, we can still find all of the individual products, that, that we have clean links there. Um, but if you're just kind of redesigning this kind of a category page and making it look more like an informational page, I, I wouldn't expect any problems with that. I, I also don't think we do anything special with those kind of category pages in search anyway. Uh, so from that point of view, you're just 
changing the design, essentially. I, I think it would be different if it were a product page and you were to change it completely, uh, mm -hmm. because we do try to recognize product pages and figure out, oh, where is the price, where is the availability, those kind mm -hmm. of things. And if you made it look completely differently, I, I don't know how, but mm -hmm. if it were, then I could imagine that affects how we pick up the product pages and if we can show it in product search results or not. Uh, but the category pages, as far as I know, we, we don't do anything special with them. So mm -hmm. if you hide them, essentially, and make sure that we can still find the links to the products, that's kind of an extreme case. You could mm -hmm. do that. But if you want to make them more useful by providing more information on them, I, I think that's a good good idea. Mm -hmm. OK, great. Thank you. And I, I think one thing I, I would double check, though, because you mentioned, like, would users be confused? I, mm -hmm. I would double check that stuff. So mm -hmm. from the SEO side of things, I, I think that's perfectly fine. But from the mm -hmm. user side of things, it's probably something you'd want to test first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, great it was. Thank you very much. Cool. Um, OK. Um, maybe I'll just go through some of the submitted questions. And uh, I'll get back to the, the folks who have their hands raised as well. And we have a bit more time afterwards as well. And it looks like there are not a ton of people here. So I'm sure we can get through most of the things. And it looks like I have your question on top, Anton, but uh, hopefully that was a, a useful answer. Uh, cool. All right. Uh, next one I have is, if you have structured data for breadcrumb setup, is internal linking still important for SEO? And yes, absolutely. Uh, it's something where internal linking is, is super critical for, for SEO. I think it's one of the biggest things that you can do on a website to kind of guide Google and guide visitors to the pages that you think are important. And uh, what you think is important is totally up to you. You can decide to make things important where you earn the most money, or you can make things important where you're the strongest competitor, or maybe you're the weakest competitor. With internal linking, you can really kind of focus things on those, those directions and those parts of your site. And uh, that's not something that you can just replace with structured data. Uh, so just because there is structured data in a page somewhere, I, I wouldn't see that as a replacement for normal internal linking. Even if in the structured data you also provide URLs, we don't use those URLs in the same way as we would use normal internal links on a page. Uh, so it's definitely not the case that hreflang annotations replace uh, kind of links between country versions or breadcrumb annotations replace uh, links between different levels of a website you should really have normal html links between the different parts of your website and ideally you should not just have kind of like a basic set of links but rather you should look at it in a strategic way and think about what do you care about the most and how can you highlight that with your internal link all right, uh, let's see. Next question is, is a long one about localization, or hreflang. Um, and it starts off with, I, I have a quick question, and then it's, it's long text, um, about localization. We're localizing our website with a subdirectory structure. Uh, we have a TLD covering the MENA audience, uh, but due to some reasons, we had to get another domain for a locale. How should I approach the localization here? Should I introduce an alternate tag for the other domain? Uh, as our global domain is currently ranking in that locale, we want the newer domain to appear there. Uh, so the, the example structured data that, or the hreflang annotations that you have there, 
looks kind of okay. But uh, one of the things I, I noticed there is you have X default set up on, on both of these sites separately. And uh, from our point of view, we really need to just have one X default. So one way to look at this is regardless of if it's on one domain or on multiple domains, on a per page basis, all of the hreflang annotations should essentially match up. Uh, and uh, it should be clear that for any particular page on this website, if we have kind of a requirement for what we would like to show users, the hreflang annotations guides us to one specific location. Uh, so for example, if someone is, uh, let's see, the languages you have here, Turkish uh, in Turkey, if someone comes into your website like that and we would rank one of these pages in the search results, it should be clear that from the cluster of hreflang annotations that you have exactly which page would be the optimal one to show. Uh, so that's kind of the, the general guidance there. Um, and uh, it doesn't matter if it's all on one domain or across multiple domains. It should just be like one clear place per country and language. Uh, the other way around is a little bit more flexible in that you can have multiple countries and languages on one page. Uh, so the mapping from country and language to a page should be kind of one-to-one, -one, uh, but the mapping of kind of per page, which countries are on that page or which language is on that page, that's, that's up to you. Um, and hreflang annotations look very simple uh, at first, but it is very complicated to set up. So don't worry if, it's, if it feels like, oh, this is something that you should just know. Uh, it, it is something that takes a lot of practice. And uh, people struggle with these hreflang annotations. It's not always easy. Um, Let's see, for product listing page, can we implement multiple product schemas on the product listing page? Um, from, from our policy point of view, I don't think you should be doing that. At least the, the last time I checked the policy is around structured data, because for uh, product structured data, we really want that apply to apply to the primary element of the page. And if you have multiple products on a page, it's not that one of them is the primary element of the page. Uh, so from that point of view, you should not use multiple product structured data elements on a kind of a category page or something like that. Um, is there best practice for pages with mixed language use? Uh, for example, our international school in Japan caters to Japanese and non-Japanese families. While we keep most of the information on our homepage in English, uh, we add support on the page in Japanese as well. Uh, when we had the pages separate, it made the community's parents feel separate. Uh, since our communication in real life is mixed language, having the home page reflect that felt more natural. Uh, are we punished in search if a page is intentionally mixed language? Uh, so I wouldn't necessarily say that uh, a, a page is punished in a case like that, but we do try to understand what the primary language is of a page. and. Uh, that helps us to understand for which kinds of queries we would be able to show this page. Uh, so that, I, I think, is kind of tricky in, in a case like this. We can understand when there are multiple languages on a page, too. It just makes it a lot easier for us to, to really be clear that if someone is searching in English, this is the right page to show to them. 
so I could imagine for something like a home page, maybe it makes sense to have that mix or a slight mix. Like if you have one home page as primary English, then maybe include some elements in Japanese. If you have another version that's primarily Japanese, some elements in English is fine. But it helps us to really understand that for the most part, this is an English page. And if someone is searching in English for a specific kind of international school in Japan, uh, then it makes sense for us to say, well, here's an English piece of content that we know fits your needs and uh, that matches the queries that you gave us. Uh, so from that point of view, I wouldn't necessarily say that the page is punished, but it makes it a lot harder for our systems to figure out how to rank that page properly. Uh, one of the things you can think about here, though, is look in Search Console what queries are going to your website or for your home page, and uh, think about which of these queries might be affected if Google didn't understand the language properly. And it could well be that if most people are searching for your name, for your the brand of your school, essentially, uh, then probably that would not be affected at all. Uh, on the other hand, if most people are searching for um, broader queries, more generic queries, kind of like, I don't know, almost like a sentence uh, that would match something on your homepage, then I could imagine that would be a little bit harder for you to appear in search results for, uh, just because we're not sure if your homepage is actually in that language of that query. So that's, that's kind of uh, my, my approach there. One, one thing you could also do if you're if you're still kind of looking at options here, is to, to make your home page kind of this bilingual version that you're, you're talking about there, but to create separate pages additionally for the individual languages. So that if someone is looking for long-form information about an international school like this, they can still find those kind of pure English or mostly English pages, and then from there, transition to the rest of your website. Uh, so lot, lots of different options to think about. Um, yeah, I, I think it might be tempting to try to do something sneaky and maybe hide one version of the page and say, well, users can see it, but search engines can't. Uh, for the most part, I think you run into more technical issues uh, when you do something like that than you actually get any value out of it. Uh, so that's, that's one thing I would avoid doing. Um, if there's a difference between content in the mobile and desktop version, does it mean that Google will punish the website and affect the website's ranking? Or does it simply mean that Googlebot can find it in the mobile version, but it won't be able to rank? Uh, so for the most part, we shifted most of our indexing to mobile-first indexing, which means we would only look at the mobile version of a website. Uh, in, in a case like that. Uh, so essentially, if there is something that is slightly different on the desktop version of a website, we would, for the most part, not even use that for search. And so it's not that uh, we would punish a website because of a difference, but rather it's like we just look at one version of the website, and we don't even know what is on the other version to kind of like treat it differently. And uh, for, for the handful of sites that are still in desktop indexing, uh, that applies the other way around, of course. Uh, if there's something on the desktop version that's not on the mobile version, or wait, 
something on the mobile version that's not on the desktop version, and you're being indexed uh, by the desktop crawler, uh, then we wouldn't really see that. We do crawl the alternate version from time to time, but we don't crawl it to pick up more information, but rather just to confirm that there's this connection between the desktop URL and the mobile URL. Uh, in my case, I have a hotel that shows microformats in a different language than the organic results. How can we make them show in the same language? Um, it's, it's hard to say with, without an example here. So if you, I don't know, if you're here in the, in the Hangout, doesn't look like it, uh, it, it would be really useful to kind of see what, what exactly you're seeing. It might be that the structured data on your page is actually in that language, and that's where we're picking it up from. Um, I don't know where we would otherwise pick up things that we would show in the rich results, but uh, it's it would be useful to to take a look at an example like this. Um, my niche is about poetry, and for years, leading poems topic in the search results. But in recent years, I found I compete with larger media sites, which is main websites. Uh, that have nothing to do with poetry, like top 10 poetry keywords, one by e-commerce sites, news sites, uh, news websites. Uh, at the end of the day, a specific niche website like mine will be gone, although I write about poetry for seven years. Uh, websites that actually write, that are actually my rival for years, which is the same in my niche, one by one they disappear. Uh, I don't know what's happening here. Uh, only large media sites are the winner, although it's, uh, if it's an article from an e-commerce site, uh, I also see those e-commerce sites sometimes win on a health topic. So it's not only about e-commerce. Um, yeah, I, I honestly don't know exactly what, what kind of a website you have. Uh, and one of the things that I, I think is always a bit tricky is if your content is essentially commodity content, uh, which which sometimes is with with some some of these kind of poetry sites where you're publishing poems written by well well known authors, for example, and essentially the content of your website is something that one to one anyone else could have because it's in public domain or or whatever. Uh, then I, I think that's always kind of a tricky situation to be in. And it can be the case that for years, like, there are a few number of people who are doing this kind of content. Uh, but due to the nature of the content, where essentially anyone can take this poem and publish it on a website and maybe say, like, I have a t-shirt with this poem, so I have to put the poem in my description as well. Um, these are things where it's... It's almost like a little bit on, on unstable ground, where you can build something up, and maybe for a while you'll be the, the only one or one of few people who kind of creates a website like that. Um, but in the long run, it's something where you need to make sure that you're providing something of significant value so that if someone else, especially a large player, comes into the area and also starts including poems in their content, uh, then that you can kind of compete with them to some extent. And uh, this is the case with, I think, a lot of content on the web that is almost like the, this commodity content. And that could be things like poems. Uh, it's like well-known sayings, uh, all of these things where essentially the information is, is available and anyone can use it. And uh, 
usually what what I recommend when I see websites like this and they come to me with, with general questions is I recommend that they take the time where they're actually doing well in the search results and use that to build up and make something much larger uh, that essentially provides something significant that other people can't just copy. Uh, obviously, looking back, it's a lot easier to think, well, I should have done that. But uh, it's still something, maybe, maybe you still have a chance to kind of like go out in that direction. Um, but it, again, it's, it's really hard to say w without looking at your website. If you're essentially publishing your own poems and you're the only person publishing your own poems, then obviously that's, that's a little bit different. Um, but if you're publishing well-known poems by existing authors and anyone can publish those poems, then it's, it's a tricky situation to be in. And sometimes it's, it's worth just taking that and saying, well, I did really good for a while because I was one of the few people to do that. And now I have to find something different to, to focus on because I don't want to compete with these larger sites, for example. Um, we, we have a food blog website. Our recipe posts are long form and straight to the point. I don't know. Long form and straight to the point and recipes. That sounds like a weird mixture, but fine. Uh, at the end of the post, we put an internal link uh, for separate uh, 20 FAQ posts about that recipe. Um, and let's see. Uh, we include uh, pro tips in the recipe itself, uh, such that even if readers don't click the FAQ link, they can still make the recipe. The FAQ post is like an additional reading source for them. Uh, my question is, is our content strategy OK from an SEO point of view? Uh, with a separate FAQ posts for each recipe, we are providing the best user experience by giving them additional information about how to make the recipe better even if they have to click out of the original recipe to get that information. Um, I, I think that's a perfectly fine strategy. So from, from Google's point of view, this is definitely not problematic. Uh, it's something where, especially with recipe content, I get a lot of complaints from people that like, these are long recipes, and I don't have time to kind of like look at the life story and go through all of these other items on this page. I really just want the recipe. Uh, so if you can separate that out and uh, focus on the recipe itself and maybe separate out some of the uh, more, I don't know, the questions around that recipe, from a user point of view, that sounds like a great thing. Um, it, it is something where I, I think the, the balance might be tricky with regards to how strong you make these individual pages. Uh, in particular, if you're kind of splitting things up on your website, uh, maybe with regards to internal linking as well, that suddenly every recipe ends up being two pages, then of course we have to ha kind of index two pages per recipe and we have to give kind of value to two pages per recipe, which means you're potentially diluting things a little bit. Uh, on the other hand, if you set it up in a way that maybe these FAQ pages are only linked from the recipe and the primary content on your website is the recipe itself, uh, then I would expect that uh, we'd be able to kind of focus on the recipe. And if someone searches for something that's within the FAQ part uh, of that recipe, then we would be able to show the FAQ page in the search results. Uh, from a structured data point of view, from a rich results point of view, uh, people sometimes like to put FAQ markup on all pages because it's like adds extra room in the search results. Um, I I think that's kind of 
almost like on the way out uh, from from our point of view in that we've seen that people do this and we do try to reduce the amount of FAQ entries that we show in the search results uh, just because it's not that useful for users where every result has kind of this set of FAQs on it. Uh, so moving that out to a separate page from my point of view, makes sense there too, in that you're not kind of like overburdening uh, the, the recipe result with all of this extra structured data. You're really kind of like, if people want more information, we have that information. If people just want to focus on the recipe, uh, we, we have inf that information as well. Um, yeah, curious to see what kind of feedback we get about recipes. Uh, it's, it's always one of those tricky topics. Um, I have an e-commerce site uh, with more than 4,500 URLs. I already submitted the proper sitemap of the site. I know that Google doesn't index everything, uh, but Google is only indexing 86 URLs, essentially. Uh, so what, what can I do there? I, I think the... So some of the things we, we've talked about uh, before with regards to crawled and not indexed, they would apply here too. Uh, so the technical things, I would double check. Uh, but also, I, I would really give the, the overall quality of the website a, a review and ideally do that also with people who are not directly involved with your website. Uh, so that's something where I think we have a blog post a while back about uh, questions that you can ask yourself uh, about your website. And I would try to find some people who are not associated with your website, give them some tasks to do on your website, and go through those questions with them. And try to get as objective feedback as possible to see what you can really do to significantly improve the quality of your website overall. And I realize with an e-commerce site, it's easy to just take a catalog of products and dump them on a website and then submit them, and suddenly you have 10,000 pages. Uh, but just because you can make a website with 10,000 pages or 4,500 here doesn't mean that you're providing something that is unique and valuable for the internet that we must have indexed and uh, that we must show to people immediately. It's, it's something where the, the kind of the value has to fit as well. Um, OK, uh, let's see. Maybe we'll switch back to some more live questions. Uh, and I also have a bit more time at the end. Uh, should we run out of time? Let's see. Luis, I think you're up next. Yes, that's correct. Hi, John. Hi, everybody. I have a question about the sitemaps. Uh, we have a really huge page with millions of uh, URLs. And right now, we are currently, also the sitemaps are being currently renovated. And our IT team is considering storing the new files, also the new sitemap files, uh, in our cloud service. That means from example.com slash um, sitemaps to cloud.com sitemaps. And we are wondering, is this that a problem? Or if we store the sitemaps in the cloud, and if that's not a problem, uh, should we also create a permanent redirect for the old URL for this example.com uh, sitemap, or how should we plan the move? Yeah, so it's it's definitely possible to to host the sitemap file somewhere else. 
Um, there, there are two ways that you can do that. One is if you have both of those domains verified in Search Console, uh, then that works. The other way is if you submit it with the robots.txt file, uh, where you specify sitemap colon and then the URL of the sitemap, uh, that can also go to a different domain. Uh, so that's something where if you if you have a separate server where you're creating sitemap files, or if you have kind of like a staging setup where it, it crawls and checks the files and then creates a sitemap file somewhere else, uh, that would all work. Uh, I would also redirect the old sitemap file to the new location just to be clean. Um, but probably even if you just delete the old sitemap URL and make sure to submit the new one properly, then that should just work. Um, what, what might be a little bit tricky is I don't know how Search Console would show that directly in, in the UI. Uh, in particular, if the sitemap file is in, in a different location, if Search Console would show the sitemap information in the indexing report, for example. Um, but that's that's a reporting problem. That's not something that uh, kind of uh, relies on the, on the functionality of the sitemap file. It's mm -hmm. really just Search Console doesn't show it properly. I and again, may, maybe it does. I I'm just not 100 percent sure. Okay, but uh, we can survive with this problem. But with the main problem, that means it's not a problem if we have. Uh, the sitemap also not in the right in the main domain. Yeah, it's that's, totally fine. That's perfectly fine. Uh, in the beginning, uh, when sitemaps first came out, uh, there were some services that would crawl your website and create a sitemap file for you, and they did exactly that. And okay. uh, that's that's perfectly valid setup. Okay, great. Thank you. Cool. All right, uh, and next up, I don't know how to pronounce your name. I'm so sorry. It's Gosha. Gosha, okay. All right, uh, so, um, uh, hi. So I have a follow-up question on the answer that you gave us actually during the previous uh, meeting. Uh, so uh, we posted question about a domain with a history uh, as an escort service provider. So you answered that uh, what we need is patience and time. Uh, but I wanted to ask like some follow-up questions. So basically, the domain has a long history because the first snapshot of of that pay of that website uh, is from 1997. So uh, so it is a really long history where actually we relaunched our website in June last year. So it's very new and fresh. Uh, and the main issue that we are having is like uh, as in the message we stated that we still uh, are getting flagged. Um, and additionally, we have this issue that you already mentioned here to today, a crawled currently not indexed. And we are trying to understand if the history of that domain can actually affect that uh, we are having issues with indexing. And answering um, the questions from, from your blog, uh, we do believe that the content we are publishing is a good quality, is internally linked, and we do build, um, like a, we try to build a quality site. Uh, where we struggle at the moment is paid performance. So uh, it's kind of in progress at the moment to optimize for that. But we use pre-render.io. So kind of what we show for Google um, is already pre-rendered version. So when it comes to our Lighthouse score, it's, it's, it's all good. Um, so if you could give us maybe some advice, like what can we improve or look for to, to understand, like why are we not getting indexed? I'm happy to share the URL as well. 
Yeah, if you can drop the URL into the chat, I, I can take a look at that and pass that on to the team, probably. Uh, if you have a bit of time afterwards, after we gone, have gone through the questions, I can double check maybe some, some first things as well. Uh, so kind of like to, to see if, if there's something super obvious that I can help with. All right. That would be great. Yeah. And usually the, the indexing side of things would not be related to kind of like if there was adult content on the website before. Um, the, indexing side might be affected if the content that was on there before was very spammy. Uh, so that might be something where, where kind of like from an indexing point of view, it just takes a while to figure out, oh, this, this new website is actually not spammy at all. Uh, but if it was just purely that there was adult content there uh, before, then I could imagine that maybe our safe search filters are a little bit kind of slow in, in recognizing that. Uh, I do know we, we've taken some steps to make that faster, but maybe we need to make that even more faster. Maybe there is something else on the safe search side that is kind of sticking. Uh, the safe search side is something that you can check if you do a site query and then turn safe search on and off. Uh, you should be able to see, is there something from safe search happening or not? Mm -hmm. um, you don't see that with regards to indexing, though. So. But uh, I, I can take a look at, at this afterwards, and we can see if there's something like, super obvious that uh, I, I can let you know about. That would be great. I'm going to stay on the call then. Thank you. Cool. All right. Um, then we're up to Nirav. Uh, thanks, uh, John, for uh, I just wanted to ask in the first place, so I asked you about page speed. So does it even matter for SEO? Like I, I read in a document back in 2010 from Google's website that PageSpeed is an important metric when it comes to SEO. So does it hold true in 2022 as well, or maybe it's not that? It definitely matters. Uh, so I, I, I think one, one tricky part is we don't have this notion of page speed itself. Uh, but mm -hmm. rather, we kind of use the, the core web vitals, which uh, include different elements about user experience in them. Uh, so the, the page speed score, I, I, think, I think that's like a score from 0 to 100. I'm not sure yeah, if I'm right, mixing right, up the right. tools. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's something that also takes into account a different number of kind of metrics on the speed of a website. And we don't use that exactly like that in the Core Web Vitals. And the Core Web Vitals, we have documented fairly well. Uh, right. So some amount of speed goes into that, too. And Core Web Vitals is definitely a ranking factor. Uh, we have that for mobile and desktop now. Uh, it is based on what users actually see, uh, not right. kind of a theoretical test of your pages. And uh, for, for the most part, we focus on kind of the difference between something that is reasonably OK and something that is very slow. Uh, and uh, we, we have that in the different categories for the individual metrics, where I think we have good, uh, yeah, yeah, medium, yeah, yeah. bad. Yeah. I, I forgot yeah. what the names are. Uh, and usually, kind of when you come out of the bad section into the medium section, uh, that's that's where we would say, oh, this website is improving and looking better. Uh, what you don't tend to see is uh, big ranking changes overall for for that, uh, but rather you would see changes for for queries where 
we have similar content in the search results. So if someone is searching for your company name, we would not show some random blog just because it's a little bit fast, faster instead of your homepage. Uh, we would right. show your homepage even if it's very slow. Uh, on the other hand, right. if someone right. is searching for, I don't know, running shoes, and there are lots of people writing about running shoes, then that's where kind of the speed aspect does play a bit more of a role. Uh, the, the other thing where speed plays in is uh, when it comes to crawling itself, uh, where especially for large websites, if a web server is very slow, then we can't crawl as much. And uh, the amount of crawling that we can do is more around kind of like how much we can index. It's not a sign that we would rank that website lower. Uh, so for very large websites, speed definitely also plays a role with regards to crawling. Okay, so the core web vitals, what I understand is the subset of overall page speed, right? So these are like four or five important things that you should definitely focus, but there are other things. So now maybe we are at a stage wherein we have, you know, we are into the green zone of that four or five things. Uh, so it should be like, hey, we are done and let's not just get into over optimizing that thing. But still, you know, there are certain things like Google is showing like, hey, uh, this JavaScript is uh, a bit lengthy or you are unused JavaScript, and you should also try to obtain These are the suggestions that we are getting it. So although if we are green and still, it will be, it should be a good approach to follow the things, or no, maybe it's like now we are into over-optimizing zone. I, it sounds a little bit like you're into that zone where you're focusing on all of the small details that make like tiny, tiny, tiny differences. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that. That might be that, like you, you call it over optimization. That might be kind of in that direction. I, I think what I would do though is double check to see uh, if, if there are any kind of user facing effects that you can still work on. Like if you recognize, well, Core Web Vitals is green, so for SEO, we're good. But you see mm -hmm. users jumping from your website because of maybe an interstitial or uh, kind of bad accessibility on a website then those are still issues that you can look at. But okay. those would not be for SEO. They would just be for your website overall. OK, got it. Got it. Thanks for allowing it again to ask. Thanks. Cool. Cool. All right. Uh, we're pretty much at the end of the time. Uh, so I will pause the recording here. And uh, like I mentioned, there's still a handful of hands up. Uh, we, we can go through your questions as well after the, the recording pauses. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, Thanks for sticking around for so long until the end of the recording. Um, if you'd like to join one of these in, in person in the future, we post them in the community section a few days ahead of the event. You can also add your questions there. And uh, as always, thank you for joining here. Thank you for submitting so many questions. And hopefully, we'll see each other again in one of the future episodes. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>